I'm really curious to hear some of your war stories, I suppose, of gaming, you know, because I've just been told you I was in a Hollow Knight. We were talking about Elden Ring. Just got me thinking of like the hardest, most frustrating levels you've ever done or the most satisfying gaming moments. You know, I think we were talking about how good it felt to play DK or Donkey Kong Country or just like on a Saturday, your old Nintendo. But just got me thinking, I'm curious the opposite of that. Like what has been your biggest boss battles or what have been your biggest hardest levels the level that you were just like i'm never going to top this moment there's definitely been one that sticks out in my memories and this comes from the first time i ever experienced playing ocarina of time which ironically was not on the nintendo 64 it was on the it was on the special edition gamecube disc that came with ocarina of time and Majora's Mask, and like the original Legend of Zelda 1 and 2, and then like a 20-minute preview for Wind Waker. So here I am, I must have been in about 5th or 6th grade playing this game. Uh, I remember it very vividly. I traded that game for Phantom Hourglass, so Zelda Phantom Hourglass, at school. It was like, you know, we we had our like drug deals back in the day, and that sort of that. And I remember getting to the point where you got to um, traverse the water temple, which is the third dungeon that you uh, that you have to go through as an adult, as adult Link. About as unbearable as a trip to the dentist's office, uh, if you can believe that. Nowadays, when I play it, I'm just like, oh, this is actually relatively... If you have a general sense of directions on a compass, you'll be all right. But man, back then, like, kids didn't fucking know. Like, there was no way. There were about 12 doors at the start of the dungeon when you when you first set foot in the temple. But you know, with age and experience, you realize that there's only one way to go. But, yeah, I'd be lying if I said that that didn't frustrate me the most. And it's like, is that just a matter of, like, are you the kind of person that's just like, I'll suffer through a million deaths and keep going? Or is it just like the impossible puzzle that gets you? It was mainly a matter of uh, getting lost. So that was the big thing. And the Water Temple in Ocarina of Time is is universally known for being the most difficult. So the main shtick of that temple, if memory serves me correctly, is a matter of traversing the dungeon and finding keys. And you got to find at least four or five keys, right? And you got to use them all in like sequential order for like these series of doors to get to the mini boss to get to the dungeon item like if you if you miss one key you are boned beyond belief good luck finding that you may as well restart the whole the whole temple over right yeah it's just a matter of getting lost that was the main problem but again once you sort of understand how the layout of the dungeon works and that you can raise and lower the water levels in only like three obtuse spots in the whole damn dungeon then you realize oh okay well i was probably an idiot as a child but (laughs) dude yeah that's killer i mean especially when you're young and you don't understand like mazes and stuff like that i I guess I'm the kind of, yeah, like mazes seem to be more frustrating in video games than like a level that you keep dying on. I mean, that's ex- incredibly frustrating, but like when it's a puzzle, I don't know if you're the kind of guy that like looks it up on YouTube to see how somebody did it or like reads some of the back in the day, the Game Informer stuff. I, I'm going to say, forget YouTube. Those are the type of games that give Nintendo power a run for its money, 
right? Yeah. And there's some games even dating back in like the, in like the NES era where it's just like, I can't help. Sorry. Enjoy your subscription. <laughs> you know, like these games were set up in such a brutal way, like bend you over and rob you of your virtue. And it's just, it's like, how is any kid under the sun supposed to figure this out? You know, never yeah. mind games outright hard or had like some cheap trick like respawning enemies or you know health would go away in two to three hits but like you have you have the limitations of the nes working against you like respawning enemies and that's uh, or like um i'm trying to think what what's like a good example like in ninja gaiden for the nes there's one section where you scroll off screen a tad and then you go back to you know you go back in the direction to complete the level and the enemy responds and the developers just so happen to say oh yeah it'd be such a great idea to put that enemy on a one by one block where a bottomless pit lies below you so even if you don't hit the enemy and the enemy hits you the knockback is just going to make you fall in the pit so yeah super shout out to yeah, shout out to obtuse level design there, but huh. yeah, really got your money's worth uh, out of a blockbuster rental or a Funko Land. I mean, at that point, I'm dating myself. So, yeah, you really got your money's worth in that in those scenarios. So tell me about it. I mean, it's like at some point the reward almost doesn't even feel worth it. I suppose. Like I was going through this with again the aforementioned Donkey Kong Country. I don't know if you know the level Minecart Madness where Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> do I know? So I'm about to I'm about to say something to you that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Maybe you already know this. You know the little spot of ground when you start the level, and then there's like a little jump to get into the minecart. Yes, yes, yes. And there's a pit in the middle. If you jump and fall down that pit, there is a barrel that will take you to the midway point. Oh yeah, yes. Um... And it'll skip all the. Okay, and just in case you didn't know that, because when I found that out, I was just like, Miyamoto, you fucking... Duh. Yeah, dude, it's like the first time in a while. Apparently, he couldn't, even get, he couldn't even get past that level, reports say. So it's just like, uh, at that point, when does a game become too difficult? I can't say for certain. There's certainly been some games where it's just like, I, I physically can't do this. Otherwise, I'm either going to get mad, or the game is just... What constitutes a game no longer being worth the rental at that point? Yeah, because it's one thing to get like back in the day, you know, like GoldenEye or I don't know who's renting Halo who didn't have it. But like games like that, that, you know, you can run through Halo, not on Legendary and have a good time. But when it comes to certain games, like if and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Ninja Gaiden the game that on the newer consoles there's like no crosshair for aiming and just like ridiculously hard like controls. I just remember like it's it gets pretty brutal. Um, I know the Ninja Gaiden remakes that were on, I believe, PlayStation Three. Again, I, I wasn't a I wasn't a PlayStation kid until I got um, number four. But then again, that just kind of goes back to you know my experiences with video games and like subsequent media surrounding it. There was a, a good amount of my life where I would spend my time playing video games and just be completely ignorant and oblivious to the uh, to the greater internet around me. Oh, you, oh, the, the computer in the family room kind of thing. 
I never bother to connect the two. Yeah. So like searching up video game media was such a foreign concept to me. Some of my earliest memories of me struggling with a game and actually, you know, dragging my mom into the local Best Buy or, or KB Toys to pick up an actual Prima strategy guide, if you remember sure. those. I mean, those were those times were few and far between. And at that point, I had I had a good amount of Game Boy Advance SP games. That was the main handheld that I had for a while before I, you know, came into possession of my consoles. At that point, I think my attention span was just sort of dwindling as it was. So if I ever found myself not enjoying a game, I would always be like, well, new game time. <laughs> yeah, it's always like the worst feeling. Well, I don't know. Like I, I've definitely abandoned some games when I couldn't get, get past moments and, you know, return to them intermittently. But that's the other thing too. Like you'd be having the greatest time playing a game, and then it's just like you get run into a killer level. It's happened with Hollow Knight with me and Rachel, where the difficulty level just skyrockets at a certain point, and it's just like a game like Hollow Knight also doesn't have fast travel like that. I mean, there's a, a tunnel network, but you can't just like if you're stuck in an area, it's like one of those games where you have to get out of the area before leaving, and it's always like a killer mechanic and it's disguised with like a cute little presentation, but it's killer, man. And like, that's where I think, you know, I, I know there's still games, like there's still Elden Ring, there's still Bloodborne, but mm -hmm. there, what is, what am I trying to say? Like you can get around those games in a way nowadays that you couldn't get back around uh, the games back then, like in Elden Ring, I'm not even talking glitches. Like you could just be like, well, I'm going to like level up and then go back and kick this boss's ass or like the same thing for, other games, but like if it feels like Mario 64 and I couldn't beat the final Bowser, I can't level up. It's just right. It was so right. linear and back then. To any Metroidvania uh, games credit and Symphony of the Night, Castlevania Symphony of the Night does this the best to, to illustrate your point. If you come across a hard as fuck like corridor or section of the game, section of the castle, and you can't beat it, with the weapons at your disposal, you can actually go and level up off of the enemies that continually respawn. You know, like you can, it's not so much cheesing the game so much as it is just spending extra hours to prepare yourself further. But Hollow Knight, is there an experience kind of system in that game? No, you don't level up any attributes. I mean, you get okay. power-ups, but... You have to advance to get it. It's not something. When then you know, like what is it? Like right now, I have dash, which I didn't have. And right. I get a longer sword. So I suppose there's that, but there's no uh -huh. level ups of like incremental stamina level ups. Where, and that's the thing too with modern games. It's just like, and again, I go back to Elden Ring, but really any RPG like that, where it's just like, oh, I leveled up my stamina just enough to survive this ba battle, mm -hmm. or like just enough to do my like heavy swing without running out of stamina in this moment. So it's a little things like that, that something like Hollow Knight reminds me of the old days of that. But, um, you know, I actually never played the N64 Link games. I don't know if Link is structured like that. I know you get the new ones are a bit more advanced. In, in older, I want to say in older titles, uh, specifically, I think Link to the Past is probably the biggest proprietor of this. And it's a style that really hasn't been explored too much outside of uh, a link between worlds on the 3ds you can go through the game doing the most minimal amount of 
things possible and you still won't end up with every single item in the game, right? Some things you, you have to go actively searching for. The biggest sort of, uh, you know, point to your argument about the whole like leveling up structure in the Legend of Zelda games, really all the Legend of Zelda games have this, are the finding of heart pieces to form heart containers outside of the heart containers that you receive when you beat a boss. So in each Zelda game, I want to say that there's about 20 hearts total, so so two lines of 10. And you could very well reach the end of the game for any game without even making it to the second row or just barely making it to the second row. That depends on your level of exploration. And in most instances, in most instances, just anecdotally, these heart pieces were in the most asinine places I could have ever imagined in Hyrule Field. And short of having a guide or having an online walkthrough, it just there comes a point of just disinterest at that point. I, I like the mechanic that if you go out and actively go hunting for something, you will inevitably find something. However, that inevitability of finding something may very well be, oh, five rupees yay (laughs) thing so unless you know what you're looking for and what it is unless you've played the game so many times that you know for certain that what you're going after isn't a waste of time like the golden skulltulas in that game seriously don't even look up what the end reward is for getting all 100 i swear to god it can be fun the exploration can be fun but you really sort of have to ascertain like whether or not you want to enjoy the adventure or enjoy the adventure to such a point where it's like, okay, now at this point I'm a bit overpowered for what's to come. Does the game even remain fun anymore? Well, that's up to you. I'm glad you said that as well, because I was thinking of that because again, every RPG, like especially this was always funny in Skyrim, like being overpowered and like, looking at a skeleton and it falls apart like i know that every game has leveling up where you're just massively overpowered and i don't know that satisfaction just kind of wears off but then i see it's funny like in sports games actually a lot of the sports gaming community there's that subset of people who like like baseball for instance like i just have like a super jacked like home run hitter he has like 100 home runs a year and like it's totally unrealistic when they say video game numbers and like, I guess I'm a purist. I like the simulation. It's okay if my guy strikes out, but I'm wondering if you're the you're in any camp of like, it's fun to be overpowered, even just for a little bit, or you're just a purist where it's like, I I can't like level up to 100 and then beat level one. Uh, what is it? The whole South Park World War episode where they just beat up forest animals. I mean, yeah. So so dominant strategy. Uh, the definition being like if you're given an ultimate weapon in a game, you're always going to use it kind of thing. It's fun. Oh, it's great. It's very fun. After a while, I would argue and say that it does become a little bit lackluster as you go through the game and you realize, oh, what nice variety the game has to offer. But you're still offing things in like one to two hits. And then you realize that like, well, the challenge inevitably gets sapped away, but also just... I feel sort of just an innate sense of personification whenever I play a game. Obviously, you want to empathize and grow with the main protagonist. Yeah. And sort of see his or her rise in the ranks as to how the main protagonist in general just progresses through the story. But if I'm playing Resident Evil 4 and I'm rocking that fucking plasma cutter or whatever, the ultimate weapon for beating 
RE4's main campaign, the mercenary modes, Ada's sub-stories, and then, like, Resident Evil New Game Plus. The plasma cutter has, like, infinite ammo, and it just cuts zombies like cheese. And at that point, at that point, you have to ask yourself, am I really playing through Resident Evil 4 for a third time? I've just beat the fucking thing. Yeah. But also, it's it comes to a point where it's like, well, it's not even like a war of attrition. These these enemies stand no chances. Uh, C Exhibit B, too, a similar weapon that you get as a reward. A rocket launcher with ultimate uh, unlimited ammo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what, do you, what is... What is the game at that point, if not absurd? It's certainly not a Resident Evil game, I'll tell you that. It makes me think of like the people like people who like that kind of stuff. Like that's what Saints Row was made for, I would imagine. I like, you know, just ridiculousness oh, yeah. of like drone strikes and um main app, like you know, like to me, like that's just totally like okay, so you like Saints Row, you know, and no offense, it's a fun game, but it's just like different, what is it? different uh flavors for different folks but yeah right. it, it is much more satisfying to beat the game with the equipment you have but i i guess i do feel some of that fomo when i'm just like well like for instance i'm playing through elden ring again and it's like now i'm like you know like a physic uh what is it a strength build i have a giant hammer the first time i was doing magic and like this hammer just destroys things and i'm like it almost makes me feel fomo <laughs> for the first playthrough and uh oh. And okay. it's like, and that shouldn't that shouldn't dampen my experience. I guess I just have like some sort of weird anxiety about it. But it's just like, if I did this playthrough the first time, I wonder if it would have been more enjoyable because there's always also the magic of that, you know, that magical first playthrough, which is also a thing. So maybe that's the internet's fault though for ruining it when you see like a hundred different videos of just like the best mage build, the best blank build, and it's like, yeah, it really makes you feel some FOMO. Well, it's like the best mage, like to who? To you, obviously, you're the one who made the YouTube video and is now collecting the YouTube revenue. Yeah. There's inherent bias on display here, but that sort of goes back to the point made in the last episode where if you can't play a game and it's and it's not innately fun to you, you know, the Cliff Notes version of that conversation, that previous conversation was, why would you be playing that game? Right. If I'm going to have to play it vicariously through the eyes of 40 something year old, I don't even want to call them basement dwellers, but like you take one look at them. I, my ad hominems aren't, you know, they're, they're yeah. crawling to get out in terms of just physical appearance. But, you know, I'm really going to let someone on the Internet who could be as old as my dad tell me how to play the game that I bought with my own money. It's like, yeah. I appreciate the concern and I appreciate the sense of guidance that, you know, video game players establish with themselves, the rapport of like, hey, this game on its own may be lukewarm, but here are ways to optimize it. First and foremost, if you're coming to me with that argument, uh, game's not finished. Sorry, not going to buy it, i.e. cyberpunk. But there also just comes a point where, no amount of grandstanding and no amount of uh, just stating in general of, of how one can play a game over another way is ultimately going to make me interested in it more. And it's predominantly the reason why I play games well past their shelf life, because it says, 
as I've stated, it's as if I'm playing it for the first time when nobody on earth is talking about it at that moment. That's always great. Like, it, it, that's actually a good point. Like, maybe just like, uh, like, for instance, like, I'm not sure if your algorithm is the same. It might be of Tears of the Kingdom right now. And I know Rachel's in the thick of it. But like, I kind of felt that exactly with Elden Ring, where it's just like, again, back to the page example, it's just like, is it as fun, you know, and again, to the earlier point of like the conversation of, you know, when the community has beaten the game already, when it's like, so in right now, whereas if I fire up, and Ryan will, you know, know, like GTA, well, in any of them, really, I know GTA 5 is another story, but like GTA 4, like, there's no, I'm not going to see that in the algorithm. No one's going to, like, it is fun to fire up the stuff that you're not going to be flooded with in on social media, on YouTube. Um, but then also, too, like, you see on YouTube, and maybe I just need to delete YouTube, but it's like, there's also videos, like, God forbid you look up one thing about the game, like maybe a level, and then you see like hour, two hour long, you know, essays on like why this game sucks. And then your curiosity gets the best of you. And then, you know, you ruin it a little bit for yourself. I don't know if you've also gone down that wormhole of like, well, let me see what this guy has to say about why my favorite game of all time sucks. And then it sours. Oh, yeah, there's nothing like seeing a hydraulically pressed soy jack on the cover of a video game making an absolute banger of a YouTube thumbnail telling me 10 things wrong with Tears of the, Ki- the Tears of the Kingdom. Number one, you can crucify a Korok or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's I'm seeing and I'm just like, I'm like, dude, that's fucking hysterical. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> World building Zelda games. I mean... It's like it's like I got transferred back to ninth grade. It's like I'm playing Minecraft and short of actually playing Tears of the Kingdom, because when I first got my switch, just for a little bit of background, I got my switch, I think, a year and a half late than launch day. So my girlfriend, Heather, got a switch and then she actually got got me one for Christmas. And one of the games that she got with with it was Breath of the Wild. I mean, talk about a non-linear Zelda game, but non-linear for all the, you know, all the right reasons. You could level up in accordance to how you wanted to until you got to the Master Sword portion where you needed a certain amount of hearts. I bet that was a real kick in the nads when people discovered that, oh, all that running around that I did was actually for nothing if I didn't get those like upgrade orbs or whatever it was. So I look at Tears of the Kingdom and I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's a great game. You know, I love Zelda. I'm I'm as much of a Zelda, not fanboy, but a Zelda title. Ooh, am I going to play it on launch day? Well, no, because launch day is already passed. And at this moment, I don't have the money for it. <laughs> but if and when Nintendo games ever do go on discount, when the stars align and when the planets align, yeah, I'll give it a shot. It's probably going to be one of those Zelda titles that withstands the test of time until... I don't know, Twilight Princess 2 or or Four Swords Adventures for some fucking reason makes a comeback. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those, the type of thing with me in video games is that I have, I'm very content with playing it long past its point of expiration because I feel it sort of cultivates a good timeline, a good YouTube timeline that way where I'm not inundated with media related to it in the off chance that again going back to our previous discussions 
I could be potentially spoiled. However, I'm going to assume, given that it's a Zelda game, that I'm not spoiling myself too much when I say, well, you probably fight an incarnation of Ganon at the end. Uh, yeah. I mean, Zelda's, that... pro Zelda's probably in the game. <laughs> She's in the title. Oh, what do you play as a uh, Link? A guy with the sword? A shield? You know, items, right? Triforce? That's still a thing, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, when there's a set formula in mind, there's not much that could potentially be done to it to spoil someone in that much of a negative way. I think the I think the one Zelda game that really caught me off guard was actually like Phantom Hourglass on the DS, Spirit Tracks, right? Where it's like, to my recollection, in Phantom Hourglass, I don't even think Ganon was mentioned. You, the main boss was like an Octorok named like Bellum or something like that. That's a that's a great DS title, by the way. But yeah, long story short, I'll I'll definitely play it. Yeah, we'll have to come back for the review. But you know, I I know in our last episode we were talking about you know maybe some disappointments of your your fallouts and so forth. But I'm wondering on that note, you know, you said you were surprised by that game. When's the last time you were surprised by a game in terms of like it was like surprisingly good or maybe you knew it was good but you didn't think it was for you and then you hopped on and you loved it because i felt that way again i'm the biggest elden ring fan elden ring fanboy on this you know episode but i totally feel like it was like it exceeded my expectations well of course it's a good game but it was pleasantly surprised and it's been a long time since i've been pleasantly surprised by uh trying something new like that so when's the last time right. you felt that way about a game in terms of mechanics, I know this is going to be a very basic take when I say this, but uh, there is something to be said about playing Pokemon as a kid versus playing Pokemon as, as an adult and understanding type differentiation and what is super effective and not effective against one type or the other. And Pokemon's a game where I really... You know, like many individuals living in the early 2000s, I grew up with it. I remember my first Pokemon title that I actually finished was Pokemon Diamond on the Nintendo DS. As an ignorant child, not really understanding what type of effectiveness or status conditions were in terms of battles. Uh, yeah, I was like the general population where, oh, these Pokemon look cool and thus they, they must be good for the remainder of my adventure. Yeah. And the opportunity that sort of solidified my transition from, you know, oh, uh, cool animals that spit fire, haha, as a kid, to me really fully appreciating what the games had to offer was the same story with myself receiving my Switch from Heather. Because the other game that came with the Switch was Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. At that point in time, and for those who aren't in the know let's go eevee and let's go pikachu are remakes of the original red blue and yellow versions right if you've played the original versions on the game boy you've you've no doubt played the story i mean it's the exact same but knowing what i know over the years of what it means to have a well-balanced team of status moves and you know regular physical attacks which by the way encompass all of my moves as a child. I was of the, the mindset of, if it doesn't deal damage, why do I have it? Exactly. Which is, 
a, a very non-professional way to play, might I add, if you ever want to get anywhere in Pokemon, at least competitively, in beating Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, and again, really kismet, because I had Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, and Heather had Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, mm. and we would... She would go through her adventure. I would go through mine. Again, same exact adventure, uh, minus the starter Pokemon. And I would have this 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 well-consolidated team. You know, I, I think if I can remember correctly, it was like Venusaur, Charizard, Blastoise, uh, Dragonite, Eevee, and Pikachu. Like it was it was an incredibly well-balanced team. And I remember looking over at Heather and being like, Oh, what's your team look like? And it's just Cute dog, cute pile of slime. Kind of yeah. thing. So <laughs> I could I could safely say that if you didn't grow up with Pokemon, you know, your first impressions of it are about the same as how we all interpreted as children. But the original question being like, what actually surprised you is the fact that like more so how not not the game itself, because the game is it's just a visual upgrade, you know, by all by all means. The surprise was just sort of how much more mature the game was alongside myself maturing and understanding. It was like an aha moment. You know, it all clicked for me. All the years spent playing this as a kid, it it felt like it finally led up to this moment where I'm sure many, many restarts and retries were had when it was just me being stupid and young. Right. Like yeah. each victory legitimately felt earned or, or warranted. I mean, yeah, I can safely say that I've never really had an experience like that that really harkened back to what made it great as a kid, you know, just amplified to what still makes the series great as an adult. Short of the discussion that we had last episode regarding Mario and Luigi's Superstar Saga, where I prefer the original Game Boy Advance version over the Switch version. Again, I'll make the same argument. It's just sort of what it means to grow up with these games and have more of an appreciation as you mature. It was very surprising. I, I thought it was just going to be another, oh, they're re-releasing Pokemon again? Like, that doesn't fucking happen? But no, I was pleasantly surprised. And it was a pleasant surprise that in, in the era of pokemon nowadays where i don't even know what number we're up to in the pokedex it's got to be quadruple digits at this point it was very refreshing it was very surprising to see that only one the original 150 were uh were there yeah no 150 because i don't believe you can catch a mew in that game just mew too uh does the same go was it missing go count oh god oh man i felt if i I felt if I went after missing though, the whole the whole damn switch would blow up. Yeah, dude, it was not worth it. I'll just say that. I mean, if I, you had a master ball in the, in the fourth slot of your inventory and you caught missing note, you would get unlimited master balls. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I just barely knew the trick it, to find them. Yeah, it gives you infinite of whatever you have in the fourth item slot, fourth or fifth item slot, I believe. Well, I guess so. If you had your master ball. Yeah, if it went unused, there you go. Of course, it would it would fuck up the game significantly. And there comes a point where you're missing no so many times, you, you can't play the game anymore. So do it at your own risk. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely yeah. Watch a YouTube video about it first. And to the Pokédex, uh, there's 1,015 Pokemon nowadays. So 
it's gotten out of hand. I mean, I miss the school year yeah. days of being able to name them all. You know, it's, it's funny you say the Pokemon games because uh, I wouldn't say a life-altering game, but I, and I, one game that I would that I saw that blew my mind as a kid, and this is gonna sound funny. I don't know if you remember Monster Rancher. Oh, what was it? <laughs> it was like. <laughs> You know, off the Pokemon craze, and uh, you know, was it was it like a was it like a Digimon kind of thing? Or like, what was that an offshoot of? It was similar yeah. to Pokemon, right? Yeah, it was basically like a ripoff. Like, I don't remember the exact uh, the exact de- like uh, story behind it, but the fun thing was that this blew my mind. Uh, it happened to PS One, or actually going to my friend's house and doing it. So the Monster Rancher game. The way you get monsters was, and I better look this up to make sure this is true, but I'm pretty sure, uh, is that the game would say, all right, open up the game and pop in a random CD. You could grab like a Tony Braxton CD from your mom's thing or like, you know, uh, any (laughs) CD whatsoever. And the game would read it and it would make a monster randomly off of the CD. What? Dude, it blew my mind. Like, I was like, no. So so it would like would write data to the CD that you input it. Yeah, here we go. Wikipedia, of course. Uh, let's so, see. So Although- you're telling me that if you put like, like my mom was like, he's still big into Journey, let's say. Yeah. If I put one of her like, you know, all-time favorite Journey CDs and this Monster Rancher game is just going to completely fuck up the data, uh, I'm going to get in a heap <laughs> of trouble. Dude, so this is how it works. I'm going to read the Wikipedia here. So... Although it's possible to acquire a monster in-game, the series is known for the ability to acquire new monsters using compact discs. Players can use any readable CD, and the game creates a monster using the CD's metadata. Certain CDs would result in unique monsters. For example, Tecmo's Deception gives the player Arden Baron, a villain for the game. Some Christmas music albums will give the player a monster type of Santa. So, like, it was like... What? Dude, I got to send some links over. This blew my mind as a kid. Please, I, yeah, that, that's insane. Dude, I, I got to send this that YouTube is cool. for you. Yeah. Playing that Monster Rancher game and inserting a, you know, a random CD. I couldn't tell you what monsters we had, but it's like that kind of stuff that like the new systems I haven't seen. You know, this is a bigger discussion probably, but like I haven't seen any system show me wow me like that in a long time and you know and i know like you know there's certain mechanics in games that i'm like oh that is so cool i wish you know this existed or that existed like i always thought it was a fun in metal gear solid 3 to customize my gun and then call of duty it's like standard now but like to insert a random cd into the playstation and get a monster there doesn't seem to be like any innovation i suppose i nobody's going to replicate that. So for me, no matter how good or bad the game was, it's always going to hold a spot in my heart. Yeah. I, I mean, and again, I hate to like burst your bubble and just sort of like the realism of it all, but like, why would they do that when they can just pawn that as, as DLC? Like oh, all God, the assets yeah. are readily that they're just gatekeeping behind two and $3 paywalls. And at that point, I mean, it sucks, right? There is no ingenuity to that regard ever. You know, you're not going to find that ever on a video game system that'll go above and beyond and outright surprise you like that. I think the last time, the last time I remember seeing a piece of media that did something like that was the NES game, uh, Star Tropics. Underrated game. 
Matter of fact, no, scratch that. I would now say overrated given the amount of people talking about it on the internet. But for a while, it went fairly unknown amongst the, the Marios and Zeldas. But, you know, when you buy a video game, like any piece of media, you typically buy it in a box. And this box came with your standard manual and it came with a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper that you're just like, okay, what, what's this, right? You'd think it'd be extra packaging. This piece of paper was actually crucial in solving a puzzle in one of the later dungeons of the game. You had to take this fucking sheet of paper and get it wet. And in doing so, it would reveal the solution to that puzzle. Oh my God, no way. Tell me, you tell me what game what games or what game companies are going to go out of their way to do that i'm baffled that like early lego games had the wherewithal to have that little graphic and you may have seen this on the internet of that little lego man standing next to the cd icon being like whoops you need to input the disc <laughs> like the personality is astounding and they don't have that anymore it's just it it sucks it really does i mean Games, I hate to, you know, I hate to sound so get off my lawny, but games are not what they were. And I don't know if we talked about this yesterday, but I was just, I realized too, in watching a review of Tears of the Kingdom that even, even something as awesome as Tears of the Kingdom, you know, doesn't have a manual. I don't know if it's pra standard practice for Nintendo handhelds to have manuals in their cases, but you're never going to find a manual nowadays in a modern generation console game. You know, you're going to get like a little leaflet explaining what the game is, but you're never going to get like an in-depth manual like we used to get in in our cartridge-based games, you know, whether that be handheld or, or console, where the manuals were so bright and colorful and even included like solutions to puzzles in the game or like the, the standard lore. It's like you never... Again, hate to sound so black-pilled. I've never seen it. I don't think it's common practice nowadays. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I haven't seen one in ages, and I have bought some actual physical copies recently. So I haven't seen a manual in so long. And like I've cherished the ones that I still have, although I only have like a few. Like I think the only one I could have that I have right now is uh, Yoshi's Story for N64. And I have the manual for that. God. And that's it. Like I used to like pour wow. over the manual for Rogue Squadron because they had like detailed explanations. It was like EU before oh, the Wookiee yeah. verse. Like I, it was so cool. Like you know, and this was also before when you know the the new trilogy hadn't come out. I didn't really had access to the EU, so it's just like reading about these, some of these vehicles and stuff from the Rogue Squadron manual. Just levels of detail that, yeah, you're not going to get. And it was years ago when I noticed that they were getting crappier, like pieces of paper, pamphlets, uh, coupons. Jesus, like, dude, I mean, like the worst is like when there's just like a coupon or something like that. It's just another aspect. Yeah. Of games, boxes, nobody cares anymore. The switch, like, and the card, the, the physical cases, sometimes it's just, well, yeah, that's where you keep your games. But like, I know some of the switch cases also have, cartridge slots and i know rachel doesn't get rid of them but i don't know if it's like standard among nintendo players to also just straight up get rid of the cartridges if you have some other storage system there are storage systems that third-party companies have definitely 
laughed their way to the bank in implementing into like, you know, third party Nintendo Switch cases, which will hold like 20 something odd games. Like it gives you it doesn't even give you a reason to save the boxes. However, if if what we've learned and if what collectors having their day in the sun um, are to uh, are to illustrate, if you're going to be getting into video game collecting at all, save the boxes. I realize it's going to be decades and decades until the Switch is going to be considered retro, but at this point, all video game cases nowadays, ever since the Sega Genesis implemented them, have had those snap-in boxes where you could just snap in the game or take it out and just snap it shut like a DVD case. You know, that was one of the things that that the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo just couldn't get right. Even the N64, Nintendo just straight up dropped the ball on that on that one. But yeah, save the video game cases if they're not if they're not getting in the way. I mean, that, that was my philosophy because it, it wasn't any different than just like putting a book on on a, on a bookshelf. Yeah, exactly. It takes up less space, too. But I do regret like, yeah, I've definitely got rid of some and. It's just like one of those things. It's like how you were saying last episode about you get rid of the some of the old games that you didn't play. So I've learned to hang on to them tight, but it's also a piece of paper and pieces of paper get bent. People, pieces of paper get screwed up. And that leads into a whole larger discussion about collecting and preserving. But yeah, that stuff is already, uh, you know, so nostalgic. So at the same time, though, back even calling back to the very beginning of our discussion of like physical versus digital, I don't know if there was a Tears of the Kingdom version, for example, that came out like a hundred dollar deluxe set. I know they do this with some games. Like I feel like Skyrim must have had some giant mm-hmm. package. I've never shelled out for that, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I remember Halo Three. I think like they were giving away like the Master Chief helmet, and I'm like, if you bought like some deluxe yeah. version or something, and I'm just like. I'm never going to do that. I'm not going to spend that much money. But then when I see it at my friend's house, I'm yeah. just like, that's awesome. So, you know, we're, we're adults. We have adult <laughs> money. So when it comes around again, I'll reconsider. But I have to say, it's also been a long time since there's been a lot of great games in the past couple of years. But like, I've also haven't been driven to the point mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to shell out money for this uh, Elden Ring statue that comes with a special edition game. Not sure if that exists, but they're also not getting creative with that either. So I feel like I've seen that kind of fall by the wayside either. Maybe there's been just backlash against it. I'm not sure. Special editions are always kind of uh, very hit or miss. They do this a lot of sports games too. Like, and I play a lot of sports games, mostly baseball, but it's like, you know, if you pay the hundred dollars for it, you'll uh, get like, you know, well, you know, your DLC, your coins, your, because you collect baseball cards and the thing. So it's just like, they'll give you packs and stuff and, it's just the whole DLC deal, but yeah, th- that's been totally killed. So I've seen no reason to buy the expensive versions, but I know somebody who bought the expensive version and, you know, if it's their, their money, they're adults, they can do it, but kind of kills me to see. And yeah, deal. Right. It's all, it's all the DLC, which I don't think there's any popular piece of DLC out there whatsoever. I've never paid money for a DLC and been happy. I don't know if you have. It really, really depends on just personal attachment to the game and whether or not you want to see more of it when the adventure is over. And me personally, I'll speak to that when I say when I'm finished with a game, I'm, I'm finished with it. Right. There's a couple games that I'll go back and play and I'll, and I'll say to myself, Oh, okay, well that was fun. And this maybe warrants a, like a replay. 
maybe with like a different sort of like class build. The best example that I can actually attest to this to this point is Bioshock, right? One of those games where like Resident Evil 4 grew up playing with my dad, loved the ever loving hell out of it. I watched him play Bioshock 2. He watched me play Bioshock 1. We both played through Bioshock Infinite together. And it got to a point where on the PlayStation, speaking back uh, to referencing PlayStation Plus, they have all three games with uh, their DLC affixed to it. And this was something that, you know, I couldn't afford to do back then, but this was essentially a new a new game. I'm not yeah. going to say that all DLC is worth buying, and I certainly can't make the argument for advocating to do so, considering that I didn't pay anything for this DLC. It was just built into the Ultimate Edition. But Bioshock Infinite's Burial at Sea is about one of the best DLC experiences I think I've actually had the pleasure of playing. Uh, it was very clear that the that the fans raving about it back then when it was released, um, you know, months or even maybe like a year or so after Bioshock Infinite was released in 2013, they knew what they were talking about when they when they played it and when they wrote their reviews about it. Of course, here I am playing it nine years late, experiencing for it for the first time, and it, and it's beautiful. It's outright a wonderful way to tie this third entry in the series to the, the first game from 2007 and it's just like again there's not many arguments that i'd make for dlc because at that point I'm, I'm done with the game i'm playing something else godspeed you know whatever <laughs> but there are games where if i'm replaying it and I happen to notice that there was tacked on content and it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg to play that tacked on content. I'm definitely going to do it. That's a good point. I mean, I've actually also never come across a past download of a game that included the DLC, which is BS. But like, for instance, um, <laughs> this sounds funny, City Skylines. I loved SimCity 2000 as a kid. And oh, I just, I got City Skylines on PS plus uh, and, uh, it's a great game, of course. It's like if you love any itineration of SimCity, this is the new city simulator, but they don't include any of their DLC. I think it's like that for The Sims, too. Like, not The Sims Part 2, but like all The Sims games, uh, they don't come with that DLC. And I know they, The Sims must yeah, have no, one of the biggest. They, they knew what they were doing, releasing them all separately, knowing that someone out there is going to buy it. And it worked. It worked. They sold those expansion packs as if they were, you know, give them the razor, sell up the blades kind of business model, you know? I can't think of another example of a game where the DLC is that prolific. I, I guess, you know, if you want to count, like, Call of Duty or uh, any first-person shooter that, like, lets you pay to upgrade your weapons, but that's that's a whole other deal as well. And uh, you know, it reminds me of uh, Counter-Strike, the original kind of first-person shooter scene i'm not sure if you're a counter-strike guy because i was i sucked at it but dude. oh my goodness I, I met i met the majority of people from russia playing that app <laughs> playing. Yeah. and it was one of those things where you didn't have to be good at the game by any means it's it's a game that's been memed to death and back at this point it's just such a cultural phenomenon but you know you want a game that that transcends race and just geopolitical issues boot up counter-strike 
solve it in a in a one v one match in that little desert map that everyone that everyone played as a kid. Yeah. Oh my goodness! It's 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 like booting up um Call of Duty and be like, all right, nuke a nuke town or whatever. Yeah. Like you yeah. solve all your problems. Yeah, dude, that's got to be one of the most iconic. I forgot the D Dust or Rust. Oh, no, Rust is Call of Duty. Was it D E Dust? Like was the name of the course, but. Dude, that's got to be like up there with the most iconic, uh, maybe all most iconic levels of all time. I mean, you know, I never even played a Halo, but I know what the silent cartographer, I never had Halo, but I know what the silent cartographer is. Like, I know I could probably beat that level just right. because I've seen it so many times by now. But uh, when it comes to iconic levels, yeah, that really holds up. And actually, that's another DLC piece of crap when they bring back the iconic levels you love. I don't know if you had to pay to get Nuketown and like subsequent Black Ops or if they just included it, but I think it was included. It was just one of those things where it's like, you know, every time I think of Call of Duty, I don't think of it synonymous with like single player. Although those games do contain a single player campaign, it's mainly, hey, let's get on at 10 p.m. on a Friday night after middle school and do a couple rounds of, of Nuketown. Fast forward to 3 a.m. and you're having the time of your life and you don't even know it. You know, cherish those times, please. But, you know, I, I wanted to, I'm not sure how we're doing on time, but I sort of wanted to um, turn the tides a little bit. And as someone who sort of took up the remainder of the last episode with sort of my, either my hot takes or just my memories of, of what made these video games great and or shape me as a person, I wanted to flip that script back on you. And and you've mentioned Donkey Kong Country a handful of different times. I mean, hell, it was the start of our original conversation. So if I may, and if this happens to run out the length of the remainder of the episode, so be it. But if I may, I'm very much curious as to how this particular game sticks with you or has stuck with you um, ever since, you know, being a kid. You know, I experienced it, like I said, through the Game Boy Advance port, which is not a butchered port by any means. It just makes it more portable, but it wasn't on the gray box that we all know and love. So, you know, if I may ask, what does Donkey Kong Country do for you? Or what does it invoke in you that, um, that that prompted this discussion in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. So I my answer won't take up the rest of the time because... Uh, I discovered Donkey Kong Country when Rachel brought her Nintendo uh, out here to Boston. And I had never played the DK, the N64 version. I had never played any, like maybe the old school, like Mario climbing up the ladders, but like that doesn't really count. So DK Country, Donkey Kong Country, I don't know if the fans prefer any nickname, but I just fired it up. You know, it's funny. I didn't play it for the longest time because our cartridge is not working very well. So like, you know, it's one of those deals where we have to slam it in, turn it on, turn it off. We would always try to fire yeah. it up and it just did not, it was always a no-go. And then a couple of weeks ago, it just started firing up and we go and we go through it and Rachel has beat the game many times over many a summers. And she's just like, <laughs> yeah, fire it up and have at it. And it's like, first of all, the graphics, you know, you go from playing like Super Mario or what is it? Mario, whatever Mario game on Super Nintendo. And then you go to Donkey Kong Country and you feel like you're playing like an N64. And that sounds ridiculous, but like the graphics, uh -oh. 
yeah, it's night and day. Yeah, the graphics are amazing. Like I think, and you don't, and it's funny too because you can't even tell in the intro because I think the startup screen is just like a, a, an image which Nintendo was doing for a while. Well, they didn't have animations, but you know, it's just like a, a painting basically or like a screenshot. And the intro movie also did not have. If I remember uh, the little intro movie of Donkey Kong Country correctly, the graphics also did, somehow did not look as good for cutscene compared to the actual gameplay. But you fire up the gameplay in that first level, it's just like wave of nostalgia. It just takes you back to every game, no matter what you played as a kid. It's just like you're instantly familiar. It's so simple, yet I died so many times in the first couple of levels. And we're not even talking about minecart badness. Like I just <laughs> not get the hang. Minecart. Minecart mayhem. Oh yeah, totally. Madness too. Yeah. You- yeah, but uh, but even up until that point, you know, like I was still like, oh shoot, like you know, Diddy Kong. Uh, I don't know if this actually if it's actually true that Diddy Kong seems to jump further than Donkey Kong. It's one of those little things that you, as a, you know, it just reminds me of being a little kid and just being like, well, it seems Diddy Kong can jump further. So yeah. I've just been like learning yeah, to switch he- on. Yeah. I think he can run faster, if I'm not mistaken. And then when he does his little uh, when he does his little cartwheel, he can actually roll off the side and then jump from thin air. So that's okay. that's one of those things. That's one of those things where you got to master in Donkey Kong Country too. Otherwise, you're not getting through a couple of those thornbrush levels in in the final world. Oh but, Jesus! Uh, I'm but not even yeah. Yo, oh, but, <laughs> but it's definitely an example of a game that is like deceptively simple but also uh, I, I i guess to say deceptively challenging like you almost as being a new gamer going back to something old and like we were playing mario so but mario's its own thing like what, from like playing it's so funny how like i'm just like well i can get through some of the first levels of bloodborne my eyes closed now but like i could not get through some of the first levels of donkey kong country so it was like it was like the perfect mid- it was just so pure it was just like just collect the bananas just get the kong letters Oh shoot! I didn't. Get, I missed the end. I'm gonna run back through that course, and it's just like it's fun. It's fast paced. The graphics are though like you play in your first few levels. That was my first experience. It's just like so refreshing. I don't know how to describe it, but it was like it exceeded my expectations when I was firing it up and I saw the first cutscene and and then the music as well. Like that music, you know, we talked about in the last episode, but just nostalgia central. And for good reason, it holds up so well. And it's just like, again, like the example I was mentioning, it's just like all the lo-fi beats or all the TikToks of calm music and stuff. This is where they got it from. Like there is a vaporwave guy. There's a lo-fi guy sampling Donkey Kong Country right now somewhere because yeah. that soundtrack is perfection. <laughs> and for every and for every Nintendo vaporwave is a DMCA claim just lurking in the <laughs> shadows because knowing Nintendo and how it and how it copyright strikes, God forbid anyone who wants to involve themselves in their media outside of their games, much less put it on YouTube. I'm, I'm surprised uh, let's players aren't six feet below the surface of the earth by this point with you know how much uh, how much that's done. Yeah, we we owe it to ourselves as lo-fi enjoyers or, or music enjoyers to look at. I believe you said aquatic ambiance. I'll sort of raise that and say sticker brush symphony. If you've never heard of that, it's it, it those tracks. You can come back to those tracks anytime and just have it be instantly recognizable. 
Yeah, and it's funny because um, firing it up did remind me of some of the other Donkey Kong related games that I've played. And like, I never was a Donkey Kong guy when it came to Mario Kart or Mario Party. Any Mario game where we had to choose characters was never a DK guy because I didn't have that experience. But a game I do hold dear near and dear was Diddy Kong Racing for the N64. I think that's why I was like, so like, oh, I actually get to play as Diddy Kong in this one. And Diddy Kong Racing was like, I must have like, you know, oh my burned God. it out Did- from Blockbuster. Diddy Kong Racing. So again, just showing my age here and maybe showing your age as well. I didn't own Diddy Kong Racing for the N64. I owned the remake of Diddy Kong Racing for the DS. Oh, so nice. my, fr- my frustrations were equally realized. Great game. You know, one of the only, one of the few racing games outside of, you know, maybe Crash Team Racing and Nitro Kart that, you know, an adventure style racing game. Who would have thought, you know, not every game needs to be Need for Speed. And actually, I think Need for Speed has a campaign as well. I digress. Anyway. Oh, my God. Diddy Kong Racing. I had so much hell with that game as a kid. But it's just one of those things where it's like, hate to say it, but you just got to get good. To get and by getting good, just get first place. It, it's tough. It's brutal. It was brutal back then on the N64. And I'm just like, you think that the DS version would just be a little bit more lenient, but collecting those like golden balloons, I think it was, and then that that elephant that rides on a cloud. I'm, yeah, dude. And like you would have to like it, race him. Like, yeah, it's a fever dream. Just outright that game. Really good stuff. Yeah, and it's just like that. Also harkens back to an era when game developers were just like Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong racing. Why not? You know, like I'm sure even Mario Kart must've blown people's minds when they're just like, what do you mean Mario racing? So it's like, there's like, (laughs) we're not going to, it's like nowadays when they do crossovers, it's just like, it doesn't hit the same of like, Oh, like Marvel versus Capcom characters in like Mortal Kombat or what is it? Yeah, like every fighting character and everything, like the Terminator and Mortal Kombat. And it's like the novelty won't hit the same as like a Diddy Kong racing for the first time. And like, yeah, man, it's uh, I have put in more hours into Diddy Kong racing than any than using DK in any other Nintendo game whatsoever. So, yeah, classic stuff. Yeah, I mean, Donkey Kong just in general is it's one of those games that where you could just go back to. And for me, I, I played them out of order. So my first Donkey Kong country experience was actually the second game. So Diddy Kong, Diddy's Kong quest. Yes. And the, there is a pun in that name. Uh, and then there was Donkey Kong country three, which was sort of the redheaded stepchild. It was a uh, Dixie Kong's double trouble. And then after that, I played the original DKC on uh game boy advance these were all on the game boy advance these were all just ports i always remembered i would i would play the game and then i would turn it off i'd you know go have dinner or or do my homework or whatever and i'd come back to the game and and my save data would just be gone so i'd have to start from the beginning and and my nine-year-old brain isn't comprehending what it means you know to have a battery backup and the battery somehow going dead Right. Like these are the types of things that you never would have expected in like a Pokemon game. Although it does happen. It happens more often than not, especially in like Pokemon Gold or Silver, where the internal clock is running 24 seven, whether or not you have the game on. 
So you look at like Donkey Kong Country and you're thinking to yourself, this couldn't have been used. And, you know, it's just for saving the core. The dots don't connect when you're a kid. So that was remarkably frustrating. I remember beating that game in one go many times just because I was so I was so vindictive and finishing it because if I turned it off or, you know, God forbid, I bumped it with I bumped the the handheld with my knee or I had to get up. And then you were, and then you hear that sound, you know, like unconnected ports. It's just like, fuck. Dude, that's it's so funny you said that. Like, actually, when we were doing uh, Minecart Mayhem uh, the other day, Rachel was just about to beat it, jump over to the last lizard dude. And I was like excited and it went like, yeah. And I, I guess I tapped the console oh. and it froze. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, like, that's. Oh. That oh, great. dude, that's grounds. Dude, that's grounds for divorce. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Getting all it the way there. Funny. <laughs> it's so funny too because, like, I think that's also kind of like a fun thing of like the stuff you're not gonna get today. Like, I'm not gonna like accidentally trip. Like, some nobody's gonna trip over my wireless PS4 cord and like my game's gonna get ruined. But like that was the as a kid, I would like be like, what the hell? But like as an adult, I just find that stuff hilarious now. Plus, like bumping it at the worst time and it's always the worst time or like yeah dude or t- tapping the playstation um mm-hmm. what is it soft locks uh, i was just like watching a video on soft locks like yeah that's... soft locking is it's brutal because it's just like you end up just it's like being trapped in hell you know like you can you can't move you can't do anything but your characters are still interacting as if the game is playing normally and in some instances it's creepy in other instances it's just like how did i get here so like there's many there's many exploits that just lead directly to a soft lock but it's a it's a really fun actually too like that's a really fun youtube again deep dive of like video game stuff of just like i know i know there's like you know speed run speed run fails and like top soft like best soft lock moments and stuff but like then, and I'm going to get a little weird on you. I don't know if you heard about the Nintendo Iceberg. Ah, yes and no. Uh, given that my channel's mainly catered towards, like, narrations, I get creepypasta icebergs out the, out the wazoo. The Nintendo Iceberg's a little bit interesting. I've never, I've never seen any media on it. I've never clicked on any one of the videos. But uh, please, enlighten me. Well, I couldn't tell you much either because I know one video is like the, the one we got sucked into. It's like, oh, two hours long. But I know one of the theories that is, I guess, one of the more easily understandable uh, theories is that, um, well, first of all, every N64 game is personalized. <laughs> and also that, you know, L- Luigi is real, for instance, in uh, Super Mario 64. Yeah, L is real two four zero one. Of course. Yeah, um, that, that, but... that was my that was my locker combination for <laughs> God knows how many years. That's awesome. Me? <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Yeah, like um, there's too much stuff like to uh, dive into, and maybe that's like a maybe that's an episode for later. But um, I think one of the ones that's like pretty commonly theorized is that every N sixty four game is personalized. You know, there's there's a ton of YouTube content and internet content explaining why this is the case, but it's 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 freaky stuff, and it's just like 
people bonded with their N64 in ways that no one's going to bond with the PS4, but it's a, it's, it's creepy stuff. Um, you know, like there's like fuzzy internet videos of people seeing Wario instead of Bowser's painting in, in like the first Bowser entrance, like yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. So it, yeah, you're right. It's a creepy pasta for video games, but it's just like, I suppose it seems innocent. I hope there's not a darker side that I'm not, that I'm just saying this out loud. And then there's like a totally dark side, but. Uh, it certainly goes more for like the urban mystery side of things where it's, it's like you want to believe, you know, with the alien poster, the UFO poster that people hang in their room in the early two thousands, where it's just like, it's like, yeah, dude, like, I, I, I totally, you ever play, uh, you know, Tomb Raider dog, Laura Croft was straight up naked. You just have to enter this code yeah, and yeah. on for 12 hours. And, it's an iceberg that I have to say people could mine the source code of a video game all they want and understand what it is down to the bite, what is exactly in a game, right? And it's a system that pretty much quickly dispels any and all rumors. But short of, say, a cosmic radiation falling from the sky on some astute day where someone's playing you know mortal Kombat or tomb raider and like oh i saw tifa nude or tifa not even being from any of those games i hate to say it but back then those claims were unfalsifiable right like in yeah. an age of of limited to no internet there very well could have been an instance like that or, you know, maybe some beta copy that got released out there that that had these sort of rumors and hoaxes. And I hate to be the one that says, oh, I want to believe, but I'm wondering if little Timmy one day on the playground who genuinely did see something out of out of the ordinary when playing, a, you know, when playing his standard hour of mario 64 actually did and we just didn't believe them because you know well my my dad works at nintendo there's no way that <laughs> <Yeah>. happened <laughs> so i just wonder how many playground rumors just got shot down when when like when discussing them it's like you know we we discussed video game rumors on the playground better than how the fucking un does you know discusses anything like we we were all at our lunch table in a circle being like oh so uh Lu waluigi and mario 64 ds oh i saw the advertisement uh you know just google purple prizes yeah you'll definitely see <laughs> and yeah it's that is something personally that i hope never dies the whole rumors and hoaxes and you know the age of the internet's practically ruined it by now but I miss being ignorant to certain things in video games. It made it that much more fun. Yeah, I, I, I think it still exists. And I, I know we're coming up for time, but like, you know, I guess I'll just like, maybe my last thought is just, you know, I was just thinking it, it still exists. I think there's still a sense of mystery and intrigue with video games that keeps us coming back with. I, lo I love the rumor mill of a video game. It's just to me, it's just like, it feels like the rumor mill and hype of like, like, of like a, a sports trade or something like that. But like, you know, it was so fun, well, in a sense, to see No Man's Sky, No Man's Land, No Man's Sky, um, get so hyped. And then people are just like, what's up with this polygonal dinosaur on like the 15th same planet I've been on? And then like seeing the hype for the other games, like 
the, the fallouts, of course, and uh, and then also seeing the hype for certain games uh, pay off, like like an Elden Ring, for instance. But um, I still enjoy that aspect of you know the culture. I think that's still one of the, I, I suppose, un, untainted, unstained, pure forms of uh, enjoyment of it. And yes, there is a toxic side to everything, but I still have very very fond memories of googling like. Uh, Xbox 720 pictures on my school computer and things like that. We, so. we phone. That'll take <laughs> <Yeah>. you back. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so, oh it, man, it's a, so the culture, the culture. There's still some things to, to worth spending your time on. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, it is now up to you to end this, this, this beautiful discussion that we've had. Please take it away. I, you know, I, I think this discussion came about. Video because... games are great. Good night. No. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was pretty good. But uh, uh, yeah, man, I I, I just think uh, you know anybody listening, you got your classic systems, fire them up, and it's going to open up a world of fun. It sounds super cheesy, but it's super real. So go out and play your systems. Mars on Life is a podcast co-hosted by Sebastian Shug. Ryan Mancini, Andrew Martinez, and Matt Fernandez. If you like this episode, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite shows, as Mars on Life is available on Anchor, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podchaser. Find us on Instagram at Mars on Life Show to keep up with the latest news, episodes, and gratuitous updates on the Red Planet. Have a question, comment, or request? Email us at marsonlife at gmail.com, and we'll promptly get back to you. This show's artwork, titled Happy Mars, was drawn by Zachary Urbrick. Our show's regular intro and outro music is Space Explorers, by the one and only Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening, and always remember, if you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>